and welcome to Happy Habits with Celine. Super happy that you're here today. I've got a conversation with Ines from the Imposture Terminator for you, which is all about that question, who am I to? So who am I to start a business? Who am I to teach other people? Who am I to speak up? Who am I to ask for that pay raise? You probably know this. So if this is something you're working on, this conversation is for you. She's sharing her wisdom around it, how you can take steps to get over it and to really step into your full potential. She's also taking us a little bit on her life journey and it's a super interesting conversation. So have fun listening to it and have fun applying it to your life. I am very grateful and excited to have Ines on the podcast today from the Imposture Terminator. And uh, this is a topic I'm personally also working at at the moment, which is why I did one of your challenges and I love the input you gave. So I wanted to have you on the podcast so people could have your wisdom about this topic. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so... Who is Ines in a nutshell? If you, I know you're probably, you have a lot to share, but if you had to give a little bit of an introduction to you, what would you say? So in a nutshell, uh, born and raised in Switzerland and actually studied uh, finance. I have a master's in finance. And very shortly after graduating, I realized that life in corporate and doing finance was not for me. While I love finance, it just didn't really fit the lifestyle I wanted. Um, so I decided I had to do something else. And that something else, uh, to make a very, a very long story short, basically, was empowering women, ambitious women, to basically go for their goals and help them help themselves with alleviating imposter syndrome so they could gain the confidence they needed to go as high as they want. Awesome. So let's stick into this imposter syndrome. What is that actually? So imposter syndrome, many people uh, have experienced many of the symptoms of imposter syndrome, but don't always recognize the term. So imposter syndrome is a bit of a umbrella term that regroups or that basically describes feeling that we are a fraud or an imposter or that we are not qualified enough, not competent enough, and sometimes kind of the feeling that you are the dumbest person in the room or the dumbest person in the office, even though it's not true, but that's a very real internal feeling. Mm. So how does somebody know that that is something that is holding them back in life? So the typical sign, so there is a distinction between corporate, uh, people who are in corporate, so who, who are employed and want to either climb, kind of climb the ladder, go up uh, in their corporation or people who are entrepreneurs, but the symptoms are very similar. So sometimes who works, some, someone's sorry, who works in a company typically would want to go up, would want to ask for a promotion and maybe become a team leader or manager. But the thoughts that are intruding in their mind is you don't know enough, you're not qualified enough, you don't have enough experience or the other colleagues are, are more fit for the job or don't even apply. And that's a very frequent thing where women don't apply for a job or a position, even though they have everything they need to apply for the job or the position, right? And in the entrepreneur world, it's very similar, but it's basically 
feeling that we need yet another certification or another degree to be an expert and position ourselves as an expert or to increase our prices or feeling, well, why would I go online or why would I share content or why would I do videos? Because everyone already knows what I'm going to say or no one would, would learn from me or all, all of the people out there who do something similar than me are so much better. And that can really stop us from showing up for people who need us, because there is this narrative in our mind that we don't know enough, that we're not good enough, but that everyone around us knows so much more, which is actually not true. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that distinction as well, because it was so interesting once I was on a retreat and we had this sharing circle mm -hmm. and every woman, it was only women who was sharing was exactly kind of that, but in different settings. Some of them was in the corporate world. Some of them were as more independent. And it was very interesting to see because from the outside, you don't see that when you look at a person, you see the confident facade or the mask, but you don't know what is going on in their internal dialogue. So I think it's so great that you picked that as your niche or your topic to also bring more awareness to that. Um, and I guess it's it is a little bit, I don't like gender stereotypes, but women do have that more, I guess. It, it is a fact. Um, and that's one of the things that motivated me to niche down because I wanted, I was very, I had a very specific idea in mind of who I wanted to work with when I, I started my own business. I wanted to work with women who are smart, smart, ambitious, who believe in themselves, but there is this one thing holding them back. And mm. it was pretty insane. I, I worked in a big investment bank in Zurich. Uh, private debt, it's not really an investment bank, private debt company. And all of the interns that worked in the office with me, beautiful, super nice people from the best university in Switzerland. And it's like one of the best in Europe and for some master's degree in the world. And they all kind of, one of my, my female colleagues specifically, but males too, were saying, oh, well, I, I, I won't ask for more because I don't think I'm there yet or I just, I just arrived at the company, I don't deserve that or I'm an intern, who am I to? And who am I to is typical from imposter syndrome, even though in terms of competences and skills, they had everything it takes. And I was discussing this with one of my friends um, and she studied, I think, gender studies in Geneva and they made this study where they took like a job and then they put an application out and they had like 50% men and 50% women applying for the job. And it was like a social study. So they asked the applicants, okay, how much salary do you want? How much do you want to get paid? And the, the company had in mind, I think something around 5,000 Swiss francs, which is pretty much the same in dollars, right? Approximately $5,000 a month for that position. All of the men asked for six or seven and managed to negotiate something in between. And all of the women asked between 3,500 and 4,000. And because they asked for less, they got less. And that's not to blame women because women are stupid and they don't ask enough. It's just like a social construction. And it's basically the environment around us that tell us you're not qualified enough. You need more certification. Don't ask for something if you're not sure you can deliver it, which is deliver it, which is the biggest fallacy because I had this other friend at uni, he applied for a job that required a master's degree and five years of experience. And he had a bachelor's degree and no experience. And he just applied and told, told him he was super smart and he would learn fast and they hired him, right? 
Yeah, you never know until until you try. It's interesting to exactly. see the, the effect of that. So if we know, okay, we all we struggle with this, what can we do about it? Okay, so the first step is identifying the typical signs. So when we do have those thoughts and feelings that pop up in our mind and in our body, we know that it's actually imposter syndrome trying to mess up with our mind rather than the truth. So some of the typical signs for business owners um, is feeling like they don't know enough and that they need more certifications before they can call themselves an expert. And the fallacy with that is each time they do get an extra diploma, they, they don't feel better, right? So it's mm -hmm. just a constant vicious circle of being overqualified and not getting enough practical experience and spending a lot of money and getting discouraged. Another sign is feeling like the dumbest person in the room, but that everyone around them knows more, even though that's not true. Um, undercharging so even though they would like to charge amount x for their program or their services they don't dare because again there's this thought who am i to charge that much or i don't have enough experience or my colleagues in the same industry they don't charge that um, not fear of visibility because we feel that people would judge us or that our content is boring and that no one would want to listen to it which is not true either um, and not fully believing that you have what it takes or this constant nagging feeling that you have to know more before you can legitimately put yourself out there or thoughts that says you got lucky, uh, maybe you were successful in the past, but that was just a lucky time. You can't do it again. Or if we've hired a coach and we've been successful, oh, well, it wasn't you, it was just your coach and kind of dismissing <laughs> achievements, but focusing on failures. And to kind of, turn like flip the switch and turn that around and kind of stop start moving out of imposter syndrome um three pillars are super super important the first pillar is kind of subconscious work inner work to remove procrastination and sabotage procrastination is one of these things that is so sneaky because not only does it kind of stop us from doing what we want to do But then when we don't do what we wanted to do, we have this internal talk that is so damaging. We say, mm. I should have done it. I have no willpower. Other people can do things and I can't with just worsened imposter syndrome. So thing to do, number one, is kind of inner work um, to find the root cause of why we're procrastinating or sabotaging. Number two is working on our self-confidence. And self-confidence is so important because when you have your own business, but also in the corporate world, it's going to affect your self-image and how visible you feel comfortable, how uh, comfortable you are with visibility, right? So if we don't have confidence in our skills and in what we do, we won't put ourselves out there confidently, we won't be visible, and we'll just buy a bunch of more certification or investment certification that we don't need. So pillar number two is building self-confidence. And pillar number three, it's kind of a three-pillar model to overcome imposter syndrome, is self-worth. So recognizing that we are good enough right now, that we don't need anything else external from us, but more working on the inner feeling that we are good enough and following our intuition and being ourselves. So that means that even if any everybody else in the industry is doing things a certain way, but it just doesn't feel authentic to us, If we try to kind of copy them, because that's just what everybody else is doing, we're going to feel like a fraud towards ourselves. So mm -hmm. being authentic, following our intuition, 
and working on our self-worth so we do feel good enough and we start charging what we feel comfortable and actually wants to charge. Mm. I like this three-pillar model. Thank sure you. And inspiration to, to many and gives nice steps of actionable steps that somebody can do. Exactly. And now you're very clear on this and you have worked through your imposture, but I guess that has not always been the case. No, for sure. It's actually interesting because uh, before I had an online business, I had a face-to-face business here in Switzerland and I was kind of hoping to grow the business through word of mouth. So recommendations, happy clients basically talking to their friends or family and basically building a network like that. And that didn't work. I mean, it worked, but I didn't really make a lot of money. So it, it didn't work the way I wanted. It, it, it wasn't a, an absolute disaster, but it was pretty bad. And looking back, two things um, contributed to that business not working until I had to switch to online. Actually, in March of last year, when lockdown hit, I couldn't mm. see any clients face to face. So I had to find another solution. But looking back, it was down to two things. The first one was, was not imposter syndrome, was misalignment, but it's very important because both are linked. So part of me maybe didn't believe I had what it takes or um, said, who am I to have an online business, right? So I kept my face-to-face business, but deep down, I never wanted a face-to-face business because I want to be a digital nomad. And you can't, you can't work from anywhere in the world if all of your customers are in the same location. Or you can have them on Zoom, but that's going to be more difficult. So deep down, my face-to-face business wasn't aligned. And I knew it, but I just kind of was pushing it under the carpet. I didn't really want to face that reality because getting myself online was scary. I had no idea how Mm -hmm. to do it. So that was one aspect. And the second aspect was imposter syndrome. So I hadn't completely pivoted back then to niching down into imposter syndrome. It came a bit later. So I was doing face-to-face therapy hypnosis and energy work and helping people with various issues and what I realized is that um, someone told me or maybe I saw it online you have to sell packages like three-month packages because when your audience is smaller it's much easier to have a few big clients than many small clients which makes sense and even though it sounded great in my mind the thought of being on the phone and telling someone about a three-month program that cost amount X made me feel horrible. And I had this image in my mind, like who am I to sell a three-month program? I just got started. I'm ripping people off. What if they don't get results? And all of these thoughts were running in my mind. And I was repelling clients. I did have people who phoned me and who were interested and it never worked out. Not because they didn't have money. Maybe some of them didn't. But because my energy was repelling them away, because I was so scared that I didn't have what it takes, or I didn't have enough experience, or I was a fraud, or I was an imposter. And subconsciously, my mind was saying no, like I don't have the confidence to take care of my client. And once I realized that, and I was able to work and kind of go within and find the reasons why part of me didn't feel good enough, it completely changed. And a few months later, Uh, When I started my online business, I never had any problems attracting clients for longer programs. Nice. That's really cool. And I I read in your story that you also had signs of this um, earlier in your life, but you didn't really realize that that was the case until you started working on imposter or with these kind of tools. 
Very true. And it's it's a good thing you, you bring it up because I don't really think about these times, but it's completely true. So the the first ever experience actually it was it, it was something I had to work a lot on because it would upset me so much. But when I was in seventh grade, and I don't think this story is on my website, or is it? When I was in seventh or seventh grade, no, not I was seven or eight years old, so like in second grade or something. I was mm. bored to death in class because I guess I had a lot of ease with the exercise they gave us. So they wanted me to skip a year. So they put me one week in the, the year above, the year ahead. And I remember vividly that we had homework and I wasn't even aware of the homework. So they kind of, the teachers were mean. They didn't tell me anything. Why? Well, at least I don't remember. And one of the pieces of homework was to uh, underline the verb in a sentence. And I didn't know what a verb was because I, I didn't learn it because I skipped a year. And then they kind of uh, saw that I, I couldn't keep up because they didn't teach me, not because I was stupid. And they, they sent me back to my previous class. Mm. And looking back, it makes complete sense that it was more kind of the system that wasn't that efficient. But when I was seven or eight years old, the message that got in my mind without me even realizing it is, you think you're smart, but you're not that smart. Like you're not smart enough to be with the class ahead and they send you back to where you belong. And that was mm. one of the first messages that went in my mind, even though if, if, if they had given me a bit of support, I'm sure it would have gone well. And then it kind of continued. So I had a lot of ease in high school and secondary school. And then I arrived at university and a lot of people at university are smart. And I felt like the dumbest person in the room. I barely passed my first year. I, I just had like just a tiny bit above average, which is not that great. Whereas before I had like really good grades. And I was surrounded by these really smart people who had like also very good capacity to memorize a lot of information. And I felt like the absolute dumbest pe like person in the room. And then I played golf at national level, but I started very late which meant that in all of the age groups, I was the worst player. So all of the kids around me who were like 14 had a very good level. But because I started at 13, compared to them, I was the worst. So I had kind mm. of this self-image of always being the worst or the dumbest or the less qualified in my environment. And it just gave me the message that I was a fraud. It just kind of was the, the soil for imposter syndrome to grow. <laughs> yeah. And I guess there is a lot of these messages in different areas that we interpret a certain way. Of course, now, if you look back to your seven-year-old self, you would interpret that very differently, but then the messaging's in and then the programming starts. Exactly. Presenting similar situations. And it's a um, very and small thing that you wouldn't necessarily expect. So one of the things yeah. I see a lot because I, I am very lucky that with my clients since I do like subconscious work I can I can see what's going on in their subconscious mind and one of the things that comes up a lot when we work on imposter syndrome is the message nothing I do is ever good enough and that can be as simple as when we were kids or teenagers it doesn't even matter or even later in life when we are in a situation where either our parents or siblings maybe are not feeling well, they're stressed, they're depressed, something is not going too well in their life, and we try to help them. So when we're kids, we try to be nice, or we try to be the perfect kid at school, or we try to bake them a cake or whatnot, and it doesn't work to make them feel better because they can only help themselves, right? 
And the message that we get in our mind is, whatever I do, and no matter how hard I try, it doesn't work when it's not good enough. And that is one of the main reasons people develop imposter syndrome in the first place. Mm -hmm. What are kind of the results that you're seeing with people? What do they transform it into? Once, once they understand why they have imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So the biggest outcomes is that they gain confidence in themselves and in their skills, even though they did not get more experience. And I always give the tennis analogy. Roger Federer, which is the greatest player of all time, <laughs> tennis player of all time. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, he's a Swiss tennis player. He's a superstar. I think everybody knows. Him. I think everybody knows who Roger is. Yeah, hopefully. Um, but even Nadal, anyone, they didn't learn how to play tennis by reading a book on how to play tennis or going to a theoretical tennis book. They learn how to be the greatest by playing with practical experience and then they fail mm -hmm. and they lose matches and they hit the ball in the net and that's what allows them to learn what works what doesn't work and become the greatest players of all time and that's the same with us as people like service providers or anyone in any position in a job is you get better at what you do with practical experience so kind of collecting diplomas we have a very nice wall covered in really nice papers But it just worsens imposter syndrome because we're not actually working with people and seeing that what we do works. And then the mm -hmm. more diplomas we have and the more we wait and the greater the fear is. So once we do kind of the inner work uh, with clients and they understand the root cause, the real reason why they feel that they don't know enough, and it's very often childhood or teenage stuff, they understand that they don't need that extra certification, that what they know right now is good enough and that they can do their job or serve their people in a perfect way, even if they don't know everything, because you don't know everything. So the biggest shift is that they gain massive confidence in putting themselves out there and being visible without having to spend more money and extra certifications they don't need. And they know deep down from inside out that for their ideal client or for their position in a company, they know enough and they don't need to know anything more. And that is very liberating. Mm, yeah. I have just uh, thought about this today, actually. And I, I realized because for me, it's always hard. There is so much out there, but I'm genuinely interested in it. Yes. There is so many courses and ways of working with people, different coaching methods or ways of working with the subconscious. And I genuinely want to learn more, but then having that distinction between, but I already know enough. I can also follow my curiosity bit one step at a time. It doesn't mean that I need to wait. So how I found the balance or I'm trying to strike that balance for me is like, you already implement what you know and you can still learn because learning is one of my main drivers that makes me happy and fulfilled in life. Exactly. And I'm so happy you mentioned that because there is nothing wrong with learning more, right? This entire discussion is not never learn anything more and only use the resources you have. But there's like a thin, like a fine line between learning more because we don't feel we know enough and learning more because we're curious or we really think it could add value to our clients. And I kind of fell into that trap in the beginning where I was already like, I was trained in EFT and certified in hypnosis, which is way more than enough to work with mm -hmm. most of my clients. 
And then I started uh, reading about NLP, which is fascinating, and that I use a bit through hypnosis, etc. But then I had this feeling, oh my God, I need to learn more. I need to buy all of these NLP books. What if I can't serve my clients? What if they have a problem I can't help them with? And it was becoming so overwhelming that at some point I was like, stop. I'm going to put all the books back in the shelf. I'll read them like later yeah. I feel like it, but not right now. And only now, and this is about one or one and a half years later, I'm kind of open to new avenues. I think I want to do maybe to be uh, trained in more like energy, energy methods, maybe Reiki. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to decide what appeals the most to me. But yeah, it's a very super, it's a super important distinction that you made that there's nothing wrong with being curious and, and learning more and expanding our skill sets and serving our clients in a more like expansive way, as long as it comes from alignment or like just a happy place of wanting to learn more and not mm. fear that we don't know enough. Mm. Yeah, that, that is the distinction, what you said in the end. Nice. And another topic that I am personally interested in is money mindset. Yes. When I look at my business journey at the beginning, I charged so little because, because of the, yes. who am I to, I just got certified and I'm just trying this out and I have learned to charge more. So now my prices are more up, but it's still something I struggle with. Mm -hmm. So I still catch myself saying that's the price. But if you can't afford it, then um, I can give you a discount. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still catch myself with that. What is your advice on um, money and asking the right price? Okay, so money is definitely a big topic. Not because, like for the reason we would believe, like money is power, blah, blah, blah. But more for a, like a more fun fundamental thing that many people, I think, know but aren't fully aware of so the information is somewhere in their mind but they aren't fully aware of for many people money is tied to survival and that is really normal because money buys food and medication and a roof above your head so in many ways it is tied to a sense of survival and our reptilian brain or part of our brain that is just meant to make us survive is not that sophisticated it's not going to think Oh, well, in Switzerland, we have social welfare. So even if I didn't have money, I would still be safe. No, the reptilian brain says you need money to survive the end. No money, death, money, good. <laughs> and that is why <laughs> money is such a huge issue uh, with many of us. It's because we can't really manifest what we want from the universe if we have fear that what we want is not going to happen. Like fear is the opposite of faith and faith is how you manifest. And many people subconsciously, and it's not their fault, it's literally their brain, think, okay, I want this money, I want this, these clients, but there is the fear that it's not going to happen because deep down they're afraid that they're going to die if they don't have money. And that's why fear and kind of these thoughts kick in. What if no one can afford me? What if people don't agree to pay these rates? So we kind of go on, open the... the the uh, SOS door and say, okay, well, if you can't pay that, we can discuss with another option. So in terms of alleviating that or strengthening our money mindset, there are two things that we can do. So first of all, there's a super important distinction that no one talks about. And I had that aha moment one year ago between money issues or money blocks and receiving issues. So money, money blocks are typically described as thoughts like 
money is for greedy people or rich people are evil or money doesn't grow on trees or be careful if you become rich, you'll become an asshole or something like that. That is money blocks. Receiving blocks is very different. So we can have very good thoughts about money, but we don't feel worthy of receiving or we don't feel that we deserve to receive or receiving is just unfamiliar. And that is very, very frequent with coaches or therapists or people who help other people because usually we give. We give time, mm. we give love, we give attention, we give support to our friends and our family. So when it comes to receiving, it's just so unfamiliar for our mind and our like system that we kind of push it away. Or we feel that if we receive, that people will not like us, because our role has always been to give. And obviously, if we have imposter syndrome and we don't feel good enough or we feel that we don't know enough, receiving is going to be very difficult. So the first thing I would work on in terms of money mindset, etc., is feeling worthy of receiving and fully understand that it's an exchange. So when someone pays amount X of money, it's because they value the solution that they will get. And for many people, the solution is so much more valuable than the money. And I had depression three years ago for the fifth time. And that's what I, that's how I actually discovered the work, right? I, I found an EFT therapist and an alternative therapist. And back then I was a broke student. I wasn't poor because poor is a mindset, broke is a temporary situation, but I was broke. Like I was a student, I was paying for all of my tuition fees, my living costs. I had a part-time job. But at the end of the month, I, I had like money for one or two restaurants and that was it. But I was determined to get out of the depression because it made me feel horrible. And I paid, I can't remember, between 2000 and 2500 within maybe four or six months to my therapist because I wanted to get better. And for me, being depression free, so the solution was way more valuable than paying two or three thousand dollars. Like I would not hesitate to do it again. I would even pay her ten or twenty or thirty thousand because my life is so much better. And kind of shifting the mindset from I'm taking someone's money to they are getting a better life and they value that better life so much more than they value a bunch of money. That is like a mindset shift that can really help us as well as feeling worthy of receiving, of course, and kind of understanding that people will buy at every price level. You have people charging 100, people charging 1,000, people charging 10,000, and people charging 100,000, and there will always be someone who's willing to pay for whatever you ask for. Mm. Thank you for sharing your wisdom on that. And another one I often see um, also in people around me, like in the yoga world and people starting in their business journey is there is already so many people doing this. Yes. Um, so who am I to do it as well? Or all this knowledge is already there. So who am I to, to do, to do that as well? That is such a great point. It's such a great point because, um, especially with the knowledge, knowledge in, in the, era of internet basically everything is available for free mm -hmm. you can also teach yourself physics like a bachelor of physics for free there are resources like can academy like free learning platforms where you can teach yourself advanced physics or math or chemistry or rocket science for real for free 
people don't buy knowledge and information. They buy support. They invest in support because technically with the free EFT or hypnosis resources out there, and there are millions, millions of podcasts, of YouTube videos, of case studies, of people doing EFT for free on their Instagram or in their groups or on YouTube, I could technically get myself out of depression for free. But it's an energetic thing. It's both kind of psychological and energetic is that often, not always, but very often, people value what they pay for way more Mm -hmm. than they value what's free. And just the fact that they believe that what they pay for is going to help them, the belief is what creates the outcome. Like energetically, they set themselves up for success by saying, okay, this person looks great. Their programs looks fantastic. I'm going to invest in out X and it's going to work. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they believe in it. Regardless of the quality of the content, as long as the belief is there, it's kind of like a placebo effect. So we are not selling knowledge. We are selling support. We are selling the fact that when someone comes to us, they could figure it out on themselves because people are not stupid. People can figure it out on themselves, but they will do so 10 times faster and without the headache when they have support. And people value having support and people value fast outcomes. So if they can pay to get something faster, they will. It's like speedy boarding with easy jet. Like a lot of people pay for speedy boarding because they want to be the first on the aircraft and guarantee <laughs> that they have space for their suitcase. Um, and it's like the dentist example. If you have a very bad toothache and you go to the dentist and he says, I can take you right now and in 30 minutes, problem is solved. It's $400 or I can take you in one week and it's $100. What do you do? you pay for right now, right? So especially in yoga, um, like the yoga world and other spiritual communities where sometimes we have like limiting belief that money is not spiritual, etc. We have to understand that we are not selling like some sort of assets or knowledge that can be found. We don't, we're not selling information. We are selling support and we are selling the fact that we are two steps ahead and because someone invests in that solution, they can get what they want way faster than if they didn't invest. And then people who don't want to invest, that's completely fine. If they want to learn yoga with YouTube, that's completely fine. But a lot of people are out there and don't want to learn yoga on YouTube. They want someone to help them. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very much. (laughs) And a last word on that, how much we charge um, has no, basically, it's not relevant how many certifications we have, how long we've been in the game, how much experience we have, how many programs we solve, all of these things are not relevant at all when it comes to pricing a program. The only thing that is relevant is the solution and the results. So as long as we are two steps ahead, and that's why I keep telling my people again and again and again, two steps ahead is all we need to be. Are there people who are ahead of the game and have more knowledge and information than you? Of course, there will always be people who are more knowledgeable and have more experience. But the only thing that matters is that our people who we serve, our ideal client from heaven, is two steps behind. And if they're two steps behind, and if our skills and knowledge and information and life experience can help them get more of what they want, that's what matters in charging. It's the value they get, nothing else. You can have someone who's super qualified, but who's just not really good at supporting people. 
and you can have someone who has no qualification and who's amazing at what they do. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm wondering, because with this kind of inner work, I sometimes also see it in myself and in people I work with that people feel like, okay, now I have dealt with it. So now it should be a way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a little bit of an up and down. What is your experience with that? And what helps you to come back to being high on energy or wanting to invest in 100%. your business? So different levels as we grow, different levels is different problems and different desires. So when I started my business, maybe I had a set of limiting beliefs that I needed to overcome. And my goal was to get maybe two clients a month, two, three month clients a month. And once I got to that goal, we kind of solved those limiting beliefs and reached the goal. But now, yeah, that is all fun and game. So you have two choices. Either you cruise at that level if you're happy with what you have, which is amazing, and you kind of maintain what you have, or you want to evolve. And as you evolve, a new set of limiting beliefs uh, is going to arise, which is completely normal. That's just uh, a sign and proof that you're growing out of your comfort zone. And as you go out mm. of the comfort zone, you'll always have new stuff. And there is like a healthy, um, like there is a fine line too between becoming an inner workaholic yeah, and just moving on. And at some point I was completely guilty of being an inner workaholic where in the beginning where I wasn't getting all the clients, as many clients as I wanted, I said, okay, do I have a money block? Like this has to be a money thing because otherwise the clients would be there. And sometimes it's just patience. Like starting a business is not always easy. If it has to take a few extra weeks or a few extra months, maybe we don't understand why the universe has its plans. Maybe like it's divine timing, we, even though we can't understand. We just have to assume, okay, I'm doing everything right and I have dealt with what I needed to dealt with, deal with. And it's mm -hmm. coming because whatever you believe is true is what is going, what's you, what, excuse me, you're going to attract in your life. So when I was convinced that I still needed to do more inner work, my belief was there's still something wrong that needs to be fixed and I can't have more clients. And because that was I, that's what I believed, that's what I manifested. And I kind of switched mindset saying, okay, I have done this money or receiving or imposter syndrome thing for two or three weeks now. I've done a Reiki or EFT or hypnosis. This issue is solved. I'm just going to assume it's a done deal. It is solved and that what I want is coming towards me. And that felt good. It felt much better to feel and think that mm. than to stay stuck in, in, a, in a workaholism. And as we evolve, sometimes the same issue you thought you had solved, so maybe a flat, like a relationship with a family member is a bit tense, which happens more than we think. And at the earlier stages of a business, we kind of make peace with that and then it's fine. And then what I see very often is that when we reach a milestone, for example, making more money than that specific family member, then new issues come up because mm. maybe they will get jealous. Maybe they will get mad. Maybe they will reject us or guilt trip us or whatnot. So even if we have dealt with things in the past and we thought it was gone, they can completely come back when we are at a different level of journey in our business. Where do I like in general? And that's completely normal. But there is a healthy like balance between dealing with whatever comes up, being aware of our emotions, and then saying, okay, I've done enough. 
let's move on. Hmm. It's similar to the certifications. Like I know enough and I can still learn, but I have a whole life, hopefully, to be on this journey. Exactly. And kind of accepting, okay, I, I can still get what I want or grow my business while I'm a work in progress or while I'm working on my limiting beliefs. Mm, it's giving up the idea that you need to be perfect first or exactly. your business idea need to be, needs to be perfect first. Absolutely. Yeah. And as a finishing question, because this podcast is called Happy Habits. Mm -hmm. So what are some happy habits that you have that help you on a daily basis, kind of connect to you and that spark that we could hear during this conversation? Okay. So when it comes to imposter syndrome and growth, I've, I think I have three happy hacks or three happy habits. One of them is really observe the language we use in our thoughts. So I never say stuff like, oh, I'm stupid. So if I forgot like a Zoom call or if I forgot something in my schedule, I will say, oh, I forgot that. I need to reach out to client X or to my assistant so we can make it up. But if I say something like, oh, I'm so stupid, I shouldn't have forgotten that, that kind of reinforces the entire imposter syndrome narrative. So I'm very careful with the thoughts I use I have completely banned anything that I wouldn't say to my best friend or to a, a loving person in my life. So that's hack number one. And it is a life changer. It's a life changer once you change the, the, the language you use in your mind and with yourself. Um, happy habit. Is it habit or hack? Habit. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Number two <laughs> is uh, less is more. So one of the best ways to grow confidence is keeping the promises you make to yourself, meaning that we often have very ambitious goals, uh, either as employees or business owners. So we are like, okay, next week, I'm going to finish that landing page and I'm going to post five friends on Instagram and I'm going to work out and I'm going to brush my cat and I'm going to see that friend I haven't talked in one billion years. And of course, we rarely complete the to-do list because it was a bit too ambitious. And what happens at the end of the week is that we look at everything we haven't done and we feel like a failure. We feel like a failure. We feel like whatever we say we're going to do, we don't do it. And that's actually a very big confidence breaker. So less mm. is more very short yet attainable to-do lists will boost our confidence and our overall feelings of accomplishment way more. And then if we have time to kill, we can still add something else. And then last but not least, and I have, I have been guilty of not doing that for a long time, but I have been implementing that the past two or three months is bring joy. Joy is the, one of the highest frequencies when it, when it comes to attracting whatever we want in our life. And we can get so cut off in building the business and the foundations and posting and the website and reaching out to people, et cetera, that we actually lose the joy and the entire mm -hmm. reason why we wanted our business in the first place. So bringing back joy and having very strict boundaries with ourselves that, okay, I will take the morning to myself to go to the lake, to walk my dog, to see friends and have the feeling of joy I would have once I've already reached all of my goals and then take care of the business with the time, time remaining is one of the best things we can do to increase our frequency and attract clients to us. Mm. Beautiful. I love your happy habits. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you have given 
people a lot of tips if they want to kind of find you or do programs with you? How can they do that? Uh, the easiest way to, to connect is on Instagram. Uh, my tag is Ines Hadar, so I-N-E-S-T-A-D-A-R, Ines Hadar. Um, and if someone is interested in rewiring their mind while they sleep and attracting more abundance, I have a free, I guess, freebie, a free hypnosis recording that you just listen to, ideally for 21 days in a row, that will basically rewire your mind and your subconscious mind to let go of imposter syndrome and feel, feel worthy, excuse me, of receiving abundance and attracting more clients. It's completely free. It's also on my website, inaspadar.ch slash high performance recording with the uh Mm, I can put the link below. Okay, thank can. you so much. The link you find it. So <laughs> that's been one tip. Great. Thank you so much for sharing your tips and your story and your insights. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, could learn a little more about imposter syndrome and maybe what that means in your life. And maybe you got to reflect a little bit on what kind of steps you could take to leave these imposing thoughts behind and really step into your potential. Let me know what you could learn from this episode. I would love to hear from you and I wish you a beautiful day ahead. See you next time.